I'm Andrea Hope, and this is To Mother. Episode 13, Race Unity. Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Hope, and I'm a Baha'i mom and a poet. And uh, this is my podcast, To Mother, where I share my resources and insights and tips about parenting with purpose in the modern world. So I share some quotes that I appreciate from the Baha'i writings, some practical tips and resources, and sometimes my poetry. I have to apologize for the sound quality this episode. I have a very precious but a very teething baby and a toddler, and it's getting increasingly harder to find a time where they're both sleeping that I can record. So thank you for your patience and understanding with the sound quality. Today we're going to be talking about race unity. I actually had already prepared an episode about delivery to keep going with our stages of motherhood, but this is a topic that has been really heavy on my heart for almost a month now because there's just been so much news about it uh, in the United States, and I felt that it would be more appropriate for me to talk about what was on my heart. So yeah, this episode is going to be about race unity, mostly in the African-American community, though I know these principles apply to everywhere, but I think I'm going to focus on this issue in the African-American community because the significance of it, which have been described in the writing. So the writing that I chose is from Advent of Divine Justice. And this is a book that I'm going to start to study with my husband and a couple in the United States that we have decided, okay, we're going to try and have like a little book club and study it together because it is so relevant to this time period. And we also obviously are going to have different perspectives on how to approach this. I'm an African-American, but I was born in the Bahamas and grew up as a Baha'i. And my husband is Polish, never been to the United States. My friends who are joining us, one is um, a white American Baha'i and one is not a Baha'i, but also a white American. So yeah, I think it would be great whether Baha'i or not Baha'i to study this book um, and to see how it applies to this situation and what it says about what we're experiencing today. And there's a lot in the book. I'm just going to read a short quote now. As to racial prejudice, the corrosion of which, for well nigh a century, has bitten into the fiber and attacked the whole social structure of American society, it should be regarded as constituting the most vital and challenging issue confronting the Baha'i community at the present stage of its evolution. The ceaseless exertions which this issue of paramount importance calls for, the sacrifices it must impose, the care and vigilance it demands, the moral courage and fortitude it requires, the tact and sympathy it necessitates, invest this problem, which the American believers are still far from having satisfactorily resolved, with an urgency and importance that cannot be overestimated. So the guardian Shogi Effendi goes along to call on everyone to be a part of the solution, and he gives some very specific guidance on the attitudes that are needed from both sides, um, from the whites, for example, to have a lack of apathy. You know, it's easy to get comfortable when you're not personally affected or maybe it's not happening in your neighborhood or you feel like, well, I'm not racist, I'm Baha'i and I love everyone. And so he challenges this apathy um, and this silence and inaction. And for Black Baha'is, he challenges this sense of uh, resentment, I could say, uh, he encourages us to 
um, recognize the efforts that people are making and to have grace with them and to have patience and to also embrace our role in creating and maintaining change. At least from what I understand, unless things have drastically changed recently, I know that the representation of African-Americans in terms of registered Baha'is has a lot to be desired. So many of you might not have an African-American person in your community. And while I cannot speak, obviously, from all African-Americans or African-American Baha'is, I have witnessed among my friends and family a collective exasperation, which also I think has to do with the time period that we're living in, that most of us are staying at home and maybe not having access to the normal ways that we relieve stress or socialize with people. I think all of those have an impact. But um, yeah, I at one of the very few moments in my life, feel confident that I can convey uh, what seems to be generally happening in the community. And it just feels exhausting. That's what I'm hearing. We're just tired of making hashtags and we're tired of calling attention to these things and taking on the responsibility to create change. A lot of the things that are initiated in terms of racial justice uh, comes from the family of the victims. And on one side, that makes total sense because these are the people close to you who want to fight for their justice. Um, but on the other hand, it is just very taxing for those people to have to deal with usually death, I'm talking about in these extreme cases, and then also have to deal with the justice system, which does not feel just or a system which is not transparent. And so, yeah, a lot of us are just feeling a lot of exhaustion. Um, that's definitely how I was feeling. This recent news with George Floyd just totally like took me out, honestly. I just cried and I felt really helpless. And, you know, I had to regroup and have a conversation with my family and reclaim my voice and everything. But it, it was just really difficult because I, I felt like this. I don't want to make another hashtag. And People maybe care about this case, but they don't challenge the underlying messages and conversations and mentality that are contributing to this. And a lot of people are calling on allies, people who are not um, African-American, to step in and take some responsibility for change because the burden has been placed for so long on the African-American community and the victims of oppression in general. You can definitely make an analogy with women's rights or immigrant rights. There's a beauty in it in the sense that I feel like people are so exhausted, you know, partially because we know that we can do better than this. So a lot of people are like, I can't believe that we're talking about this in 2020. So in a sense, it is very sad, but it also is an indication of an expectation of humanity that we feel like, hey, we should have grown out of this by now. You know, we have the capacity to do more than this. There is no expectation that we don't have that capacity, which I think has a lot to do with um, Baha'u'llah's unifying message. But yeah, there's still that exhaustion over people not knowing how to approach it and feeling like the silence is really detrimental. And I created a video about this, but I'll also give you someone else's example. There's a woman who's a famous podcaster, very wealthy, and she said that she was riding in an elevator with some other people. She was the only African-American. They were both women and men in the elevator, and she was talking to one of the men in the back of the elevator. Uh, this older couple gets on, and when it stops on the floor that they're all getting off, um, the older man says, ladies first. And so all of the white women get out of the elevator. And when she's about to get out, he puts his umbrella in front of her and says, I said, ladies first. And she was just completely in shock. 
and everyone just kind of scurried out the elevator and then left. And she just talked about how, of course, it was horrible and it put her in shock and it just made her feel so helpless and, you know, it was just a very difficult experience. But what hurt her more than that man saying that was the silence of the other people on the elevator who heard what he said and saw what he did and didn't say anything, especially the person that she was talking to beforehand, who seemed to be her companion in some sense, who stayed silent. That was more painful to her because in that moment, there's nothing really she could do or say to the man who did that because there's not really anything she could say in a conversation or one reaction to change his mind. And if that's so ingrained in him that she's not considered a person or she's not considered a lady, then there's really nothing that she felt like she could do. But um, for the others, there is something that they could have done, at least in making it known that they don't support that. Just even talking to her and saying something to her to show her their solidarity with her. And she said that is what really hurts the most to her, that people who seem to be friendly with her and respect and value her opinion and want her to come on their podcast or um, talk about their products. When it comes to those situations, they are not standing with her and not defending her value. So how I'm thinking of racial justice is not in the sense of just a person going to jail in a certain case or someone getting their life ruined, though I understand why people approach it that way. Like you have to do things to the legal system, but it's also so much more about questioning these mindsets and these smaller actions before they become more dangerous and end horrendously in ending people's lives. And I really want to live in a world where everyone can contribute to the conversation in equal measures because everyone has a responsibility and I truly believe that. But I also have to read the reality of the situation as a Baha'i and as an African-American. And in the reality that we have right now, I feel that it absolutely makes a difference when I, as an African-American, call out injustice than if a white American says it to another white American. It absolutely makes a difference if as I, as a woman, call out sexism, then if a man calls it out to another man. The circumstances in which we live right now make that the reality. So if I say something, it can come off more as just emotional or overreacting or sensitive or, you know, it can come off in a lot of different ways. But if someone says something who seems to have no direct stake in the matter, then it's gonna come off a bit differently. And I think that's really important for people to know. So I made this video because I was in a lot of grief and feeling a lot of emotions and I feel like I needed to get it out and say something. And um, I got a lot of response from people, which was wonderful. One of the things is I got invited to a devotional that an American living abroad was having with his wife and their community about the idea of justice and racial unity and with quotes from the writings and a discussion following. And that was really wonderful. It was wonderful for me to be able to share my experience as the only African-American in the room, or by room I mean virtual room. But it was also a great opportunity for me to really listen and figure out what is stopping people from speaking up and uh, how others are feeling about this issue. And the big thing that I learned is that people don't speak up, at least the people in that group, we're saying because they're imperfect. I'm not perfect, so how can I correct someone else? The best thing I could do is just make sure that I'm not racist or that I'm challenging those things in myself to be a better person and to be an example for others. 
Uh, and the thing about that is what I brought up and which we had a conversation about is that, you know, the human heart is not separated from society. So in the writings, it says we can't say that when one thing changes, the other will. There has to be action on all sides. I had another friend who told me that the NSA of the United States has written several letters about this issue of racial prejudice and racial unity and asked communities to study them. But in her community, they have decided to have a devotional instead of uh, directly studying the messages. And as you might guess, her community doesn't have any African-Americans in it. So I did offer to join a meeting if that's something that would be helpful or even better if they could find someone in a nearby community or someone who was not Baha'i in their community that they could welcome. Maybe that would encourage people. So my living the life tip is really just to take the suggestion of the National Spiritual Assembly of the United States and study those messages in your community. And if there aren't any African Americans in your community, perhaps there is a Baha'i that you could reach out to to join that conversation. Now, I'm not saying that the person who's African American is going to have the answers or going to be able to lead the conversation even necessarily, but that them being able to give their personal experience and how they're feeling is really going to have an effect on the hearts and the mindsets of others. And the other part of that is that you cannot have the answers if you don't ask the questions. And for me, that's really what breaking the silence and stepping up in solidarity is about. And I absolutely believe in frank and loving consultation. So I'll give you an example. One kind of comedy podcast that I listen to every day, they recently had an episode where they said, we haven't really addressed what's going on in the United States, but we wanted to let you know that we are thinking about it and we are upset about it and we just haven't talked about it because we weren't really sure what to say. And I really appreciated them even saying that, making that first step and having that honesty. And me being someone who listens to their podcast, I offered to come and have a conversation with them, which I will let you know about when it happens. But also I was able to recommend other podcasters, not just that were African-American, but those I felt would be appropriate for their audience or would be able to speak with humor, but with also sincerity about the topic. So that is one thing, you know, isn't going to be the right person to engage in conversation with because we're all at different parts of our journey. So I think that's why it is helpful if it's someone that you know and that you have an understanding can be open to that conversation or at least if you don't know the person beforehand that you have a discussion about what the intention of this meeting is and kind of lay out what your expectations are with how you move forward. And as African Americans, um, as part of the black community, I hesitate to ask anything of us right now. I really, I really, really do because I know how exhausted people are and how in grief people are. But I think from our side, it's really important for us to take sincere desire to help out and to be involved and encourage that and focus on that. And that's something that I'm also working on and I have to keep readjusting myself because it's so easy to hear someone say, you know, well, I wanted to say something, but I didn't know what to say or I wasn't sure what to do. And it's easy for us to think, hey, there's so many resources out there. If you really wanted to know, you could read a book or you could watch something online or you could follow this organization. And so I think it's easiest for us to say those things. And we live in this cancel culture recently where if someone says something or does something that you don't like, that you just want to shut them down. And I really hope that we as the African-American Baha'i community or you know, just African-Americans in general can take a step back from that and say, you know, if someone's really interested 
and being a part of the process and they see this is their way in, whatever they were doing before, we have to encourage that. And we have to recognize that and offer that first book or offer that first conversation. And I think not only the faith, but psychology and science in general will attest to the fact that a person who was racist or a person who was silent before, who has a change of heart, who sees their ability to contribute to this conversation and this action is way more beneficial to society than a person who is isolated because of their beliefs, because then that breeds extremism. I feel like I've talked about this and this podcast really is for parents, so maybe I haven't said enough about what this means in terms of having your kids involved. I think having your kids involved in these discussions and the devotional and everything, they learn by observing. They learn by the people that you have around you and the actions and decisions that you make in your life. So whether or not they are at an age to engage in a meeting with you and the adults, they still can be impacted by the fact that you're having a meeting. And I'll make my resource a bit more specific to children So I wrote an article in Brilliant Star Magazine about race unity, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But as far as I remember, every year, Brilliant Star Magazine, which is a magazine in the United States that uh, focuses on spiritual development for 8 to 12-year-olds, as far as I can remember, each year they have one of the issues dedicated to race unity. So you'll be able to look in the archives and see lots of different um, options and information that they've had over the years you'll find a lot of it still relevant and it still has the same mindset that I'm trying to promote of asking what you can do. It's not telling you what to do, (laughs) Um, which I think each person has to assess their own opportunities and what their neighborhood is like and what their friendships are like and what their family life is like. Um, But it is giving some options and hopefully empowering people to have some ideas when they make that decision that they do want to take a step forward. Thank you for listening today. And I actually have several poems about this topic, so I wasn't sure which one to put. I think I'll stick with ending with a shorter poem. Fight the Power by Andrea Hope. Fight the power, fight the power, fight the power, fight the power, fight the power. And they tell me to fight the power, but I can't justify another war. So I kiss the power on the forehead, because maybe no one's tried that one before. And they tell me to fight the power, but I've always had weak wrists, so I do one better than this. I teach the power's kids, just the basics. In math, I teach them A equals B, Ahmad equals Betty, Carlito equals Gertrude, Esteban equals Mpolo King. I replace their numerals with hard-to-pronounce names, so they learn that equality doesn't mean both sides look and sound the same. In science... I teach them gentrification of our species and deforestations of our grounds. I tape all their lessons to the bottom of globe so they can see how we're turning our world upside down. In history, I teach them to fight the power. 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 In literature, I teach them that freedom of speech beckons that when they open their mouths, they'll have something liberating to say. So we start with freedom of listening, and we start with freedom of questions, and I have them write questions and flip through library books for their answers until they are weak in the wrist, too weak to make fist. 
To Mother is an individual initiative and provides only the personal reflections and insights of its creator. That's me. For more information about the Baha'i faith, including access to the official writings and contacts for Baha'is in your community, please visit Baha'i.org.